uh, of course, uh, we, we had stuffed meatballs this afternoon that were just awesome at the St. Lawrence house. So uh, anytime any of you want that, just say that to Marilyn, and I'm sure she'll cook some up for you. And uh, <laughs> But it's, it's a blessing to be here. Um, is there any of us who should be here? His grace is greater than our sin, right? And uh, coming from a world where, according to Jesus, according to psychology, by the way, the word psychology, suke in Greek means the soul, and ology, of course, is the study of, so psychology literally means the study of the soul. And we have three main fathers of modern psychology, Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist, and then, of course, B.F. Skinner, who believes that you and I are just offspring of animals, and so we're just responding to these impulses in our in our, in our environment, and so he has this behavioristic version that all your problems are outside of you, and none of them are inside of you, of course, because you're an awesome person. Pat yourself on the back. And then uh, we have uh, another one, uh, Carl Rogers, who is a, a, the, the biggest force in humanistic psychology um, that basically believe that you're not a bad person, you have a spark of divinity inside of you, although he was an atheist, and that you just need to let that out, and, and typically you would just be a good person um, if you just let that out and reach your full potential. But you and I understand Scripture, and because we know Jesus, we know more about human nature than, than, than all of these very studied people. And uh, psychology, modern psychology, is all based on Darwinian biology. So Darwin comes along, and then Freud, Rogers, and Skinner come a generation later, and they're basing all of their teaching on humanity in this fact that you and I uh, were just some random protoplasm billions of years ago, and we have escalated, and we've gotten better and evoluted over time. And yet you and I understand scripturally the complete opposite is true of us, that we started off very well in a paradise fit by God for his glory, and through sin we have degenerated into a society full of of people that you can't even let your kids out of your sight for more than five minutes now. And so um, humanity is not being fixed by psychology. Humanity is not being fixed by religion. Mankind's problem is not an exterior problem. It's an interior problem, according to Mark chapter 7, 22. Jesus said, out of the man's heart, he corrupts and contaminates himself. And so religion is a big band-aid. And psychology is a big Band-Aid, but if you have a heart attack, a Band-Aid is not going to do no matter how big the Band-Aid is. And so uh, we're going into Mexico taking the good news of the gospel uh, from churches like this that you understand that at your deepest level, at your deepest heart and, and, and gut level, if I could say, Jesus has reached you and changed you fundamentally into a God centered creature, praise his holy name. And none of us could have done that for ourselves. God is a glorious God of regenerating grace. He gives us his gospel. We hear it. We respond. And he goes about changing the inside. Praise God. The outside eventually changes. But he starts from the deepest level. And, um, and, and with that confidence, we go into Mexico um, and uh, are, are blessed to be part of what God is, is, is doing there. Uh, let's talk about tonight uh, counseling in the local church. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I, I want to make a humbling confession to the church. And this, this is humbling in the middle here of Iowa, with all you gentlemen who work in, in construction and mechanic and, and everything, um, I am not the handyman in my marriage. My wife is. That, that's tough to say. I mean, that's really tough to say. But um, my, my wife, when I was a pastor, 
um, uh, we took over a church that just had loads of stuff from like the middle or early 90s that just needed to be thrown away. And my opinion was, throw it all away. And so there was these ugly old wooden chairs that were behind the parsonage that we lived in. And my thought was, make a bonfire out of them and maybe have a youth activity or something out of that. That was the only use that they had. And my wife had a different viewpoint. Um, a, a family from the church had, had gift, gifted us a small table and my wife uh, went to Lowe's and she bought a um, a, a eight by four piece of, of plywood and um, and then looked at those chairs with the eyes of restoration to turn something into what it could be. See, I just looked at them as junk and she looked at them not at what they were, but what they could be. And my wife eventually brought those things into our house on the on the outside deck. She began to sand and varnish them and turned basically these old ugly chairs and this um uh just makeshift table into a beautiful a beautiful dining table where we could have guests in and she restored what i would have thrown out a person with the heart and eyes of restoration doesn't look at what something is but with investment with care they think about what it could be. And in the midst of local church ministry, as we spoke this morning, when you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, all the way to chapter 6 and verse 1, you understand that church is messy. And if you've been in a church for more than 20 minutes, church is messy, okay? Um, We're not here because we're good. We're here because God is good, my friends. And there will be sin that comes up in the local church. Let's jump back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. The Bible says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth, that's present tense, against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. So what is God saying here in in this chapter? When God fundamentally changes you, he puts a new desire in your heart for him and for goodness and righteousness are you hearing me a a truly regenerate person we have this wrong view of christianity we think christianity is just sitting in a pew and putting up with a whole bunch of stuff that we don't like to hear no i don't think that at all i think that god gives you a new desire and your deepest most intimate desires are for god and his glory and his kingdom and his righteousness And yes, in the process, because you still wear this fallen robe of flesh, there is going to be stumbling. And there will be stumbling of those who do not walk in the Spirit, and they in moments fulfill the desires, the lusts of the flesh. The question is not when, or excuse me, if that's going to happen, but when that's going to happen, and how does the church react to sin within its own ranks. And I want to say that the mark of a truly regenerate person is this battle inside of you. And those of you who are truly saved understand exactly, <laughs> exactly what that means. I'm not even saying on a daily basis, but on a moment-by-moment basis. And the battle rages now. You see, this is not a battle for the future or a battle that happened in the past, but the flesh lusteth. It's all in the present in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. And when you move on in the text, Paul is basically um, showing here are the characteristics so you can measure yourself against this. 
Here are the characteristics of a person who's walking and living after their flesh. They may be a Christian, but they're living after their flesh. And the Bible says this uh, in verse in verse 18, But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the flesh. And now the works of the flesh are these, and they're manifest. They're, they're obvious. What's inside is going to come out. And he says this, um, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, which up until this point pretty much sounds like the book of First and Second Corinthians, right? And I'm not talking about a nightclub. I'm talking about a church there. And in, in, in chapter 5, verse 21 says, Envings and murders and drunkenness and revelings and of such like of the which I tell you before, as I've told you also in time past, that they which do such things, or this is their typical practice with no restraining grace of God in their life, no deep-centered conviction against that in them, he says that they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, sadly, there are people who profess, but they do not possess, and they look like, but they are not. And the Spirit is not in them. And so Paul is giving this warning, but then, praise to God, he turns, and I always love the Scripture. The Scripture always gives the good news at the end, right? That the that, that conquering grace will come. And here's what the Spirit does in our lives. I, can I just back up to this? Um, uh, in, in, in Detroit, where I come from, if you ever want good preaching illustrations about sin, just look up the Detroit News and read today's paper, okay? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm from there, um, so I can say that. Um, but a couple of years ago in Detroit, there was uh, a Sunday afternoon soccer league, a men's soccer league, that uh, different different guys would come and play. And um, there was a guy who was refing those games, and he was in his mid-30s, had a wife and kids, and um, uh, uh, he was refing, and he, got, he pulled out a red card uh, on one of the one of the players. Now, um, a, a, a red card means I think you're evicted from the game and I think you can't play the next one. I never was a soccer player, but I'm guessing that's what a red card means. And so this guy was infuriated, and when the referee turned his back, he, 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 he hit him. I mean, in the way that he hit him, I guess there's a way that you can punch someone in the nose that just takes their life. And that's exactly what happened. This guy fell back and immediately... He began convulsing, and it was, it was obvious that something drastic had happened. They called the ambulance, and the ambulance has basically concluded when they got to the site that he was probably dead before he hit the ground. And that is what the flesh is capable of. And the best of us here this evening are capable of the exact same or worse in a given situation, if you follow after the flesh. But I'm glad and I rejoice that um, in the Word of God we don't stop there. <laughs> because there's a Christian life marked here by the Spirit. And here it is, verse 22. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So Paul says basically, if you do those things, you don't got to be worried about the cops. Cops are not arresting people for patience these days, are they? 
Cops are not arresting people for giving out waters to bicyclists, okay? Nobody got arrested last week at this event, okay? There's no laws against this. Everybody generally says these are good things, okay? And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And then when you kind of get the gist of the text, you understand this spiritual battle that Paul is saying and speaking of. And then he says this in verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So now we are not lust-driven creatures. We are Jesus-driven creatures and um, in, his, in his kingdom. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So here's the, here's the thing. You've got the Holy Spirit. Now live not after the flesh's power. Don't ask the flesh to do in your life what only the Spirit can do. Walk after the Spirit. And then he says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Why? Why is he saying this? Because this is the book of Galatians. And those of you who have taken the 3,000 feet above view of the book of Galatians understand that this is the epistle of what? Conflict, right? It's the conflict between law and grace, between Sarah and Hagar, between the flesh and the spirit. And, and sadly, the epistle of conflict between Christian against Christian. Because when your Christianity in your mind is based on a law that you keep or a preferred external standard, you judge everybody else by that standard, and all of a sudden your goodness is not inherited in your mind through Jesus. It's through what you do for him. And that's a Christianity that's not in Scripture anywhere. But that external legalistic Christianity that much of us have either graduated from, praise God, or need to graduate from, is one where there's always conflict. Because if I am right with God based on what I've done for him, then obviously you don't meet up to my standards. And I get to judge you through my slanted opinion of myself. And it's just not true, my friend. I'm here to tell you, you're not saved because you're a good moral midwesterner that god said you were about 75 percent good and at the cross he was going to give you the other 25 percent no he said you were dead in trespasses and sins in spite in spite of who we were and what we were praise god redeeming grace came to our lives amen and i want to tell you that god began his work and he's not done with you he gives to you of his spirit and yet in the context of the local church there will be moments and there will be people that make all of us all of us hang our heads in shame and say man you you need to be confronted about this here's why because chapter 6 verse 1 exists here's what it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are what Spirit, spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here's what he's saying. In chapter 5, you've got this unsaved, unconverted person who, who, who does these things. This is his habitual nature. But Christians, when they walk after the flesh in moments of weakness, will be overtaken in a fault. And so Paul tells us now what to do when that happens. And um, I just want to mention three, three aspects of this text here as you here at Grace Baptist Church are called, not just the pastor, but as we'll read, brethren. Okay, This is not a just trained theological minister thing. This is a all-church thing to be spiritual and to react biblically when somebody in your own family, the own, own, the own body of Christ, will, will bring shame to the name of Jesus in your local church, what do you do uh, in, in response? And number one, uh, here's, what I, here's what I see. I see an audience. May, may, may I say this? 
um, when you consider this battle of the flesh and the spirit, um, there will be Christians in jails, my friend. And I'm not talking about guys who got saved once they got in, okay? Um, there will be Christians with restriction orders, restraining orders against them. There will be Christians, my dear friends, every church and every place that go to bed at night and wet their pillow with tears over regrets of their past. There will be Christians who have to write a Psalm 51 out of the darkest moments of their life. Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I've lost it. And with the deepest regrets, I mean, if Moses killed a man, if David did that and more and worse, my dear friends, if Peter, if Peter denied he knew Jesus three times, if Noah got drunk, if Abraham fathered an illegitimate child that has brought conflict into the world uh, from the ancient days, my friend, what are you and I capable of today? What are you and I capable of today? That and worse. So the question is, what do we do when? What do we do when, and and praise God, Paul gives us what to do. Because he's assuming, of course, because the Spirit is, there will be spiritual people in the body of Christ. And the spiritual people will do something, as we see. Um, They'll do the work of restoration. But let's look, number one, the audience. The audience of this text. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The audience is this, the brethren. And this applies basically uh, with, 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 with a very overarching, overarching application to everyone in the local church that is truly born again. This word brethren is a wonderful and privileged Thing. In fact, John 1.12 speaks of it as a privilege that we get to be called the sons of God to those who believe on his name. And so because two people have the same father, they're automatically brother and sister. And so we come from different uh, places. We have different preferences. But in the body of Christ, we are one family in Christ. And so those who are best qualified to administer the grace to other people are ones whose lives who have been affected personally by that same grace. Aren't you glad for that? We're, we're, we're brethren. We are all brethren in Christ Jesus, those of us who have believed. And so can I say this? When then there is a fallen brother, a broken marriage, a suicidal teenager, or a brother or sister whose priorities used to be in the local church and they are no longer there, the solution for their life, according to the Apostle Paul, is not a bottle of Prozac. It's not a visit to a psychiatrist. It's the local church, my friends. Brethren, brethren, you which are spiritual, restore such and one. Um, I met up with a friend, uh, an old-time friend who is also in the ministry uh, on deputation and met up with him. We had McDonald's, and he's like, I got to go. I was like, well, what happened? You know, I drove, drove all the way up here, and, and now you got to leave. What happened? Uh, I wasn't, wasn't mad at him, but I was, uh, he, he told me, he said, well, our, our church is in process of ordaining uh, another brother to our pastoral staff. And we just got word last night that his wife was in an affair with somebody within the church. Well, that stinks. That, that stinks. And so he had to get up and go. And the question is, what, what now? Who now? How, how do you work this one out? And... It's a pastoral family 
but I thought counseling is only for pastors. Not true. The Bible says, brethren, a theological degree is not the requisite for biblical counseling, my friends. Amen. I got one of those, okay? And yet I've seen the power of the local church in action when there are spiritual godly people who do the work of restoration. This is a call not to those who are necessarily in full-time vocational ministry, but it is a call to have a culture of godliness and love in response to sin within the congregation from the whole congregation. And so um, when we look in, in Scripture, uh, my friends, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 11, verse 14, that in the multitude of counselors, right, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Uh, you see it in Exodus chapter 18 when Moses' father-in-law comes and gives him the, the word about counseling because Moses from the beginning until the end of the day had this long line of problematic people at his doorstep wondering and, and working out their disputes. And he basically comes in and says, no, you need to set men of virtue, men of righteousness, men of wisdom over fifties and hundreds and thousands, and they will help you. And this people shall go forth in peace. And so what is he speaking? He's speaking about a multitude or a plurality of godly counselors within a local church. We have been uh, perhaps uh, in in some settings uh, deceived in thinking that only pastors are qualified to to counsel. Well, you've got a problem because Titus chapter 2 speaks of a female counselor. She can't be a pastor, obviously, but, but she's to counsel younger ladies. And, 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 and we, we, we ought to, within the, count, within the uh, auspices of the local church, be raising up godly people because we have the Spirit. We have the, the, the um, gifts of the Spirit. We have, of course, the Word of God in its entirety. We ought to be able to do the work and not outsource it to other places. Amen? And, I, and I'm glad. Can I say this? I'm glad for places like Reformers Unanimous who deal with addictions and can send people. But your, your first... Your first reaction is not to jaunt somebody over there necessarily. It's to consider, can we help this person in the local church? There are marriage centers and other places, and praise God for them. But the audience here to do the work of restoration is the local church. And in in the middle of that, the Bible um, necessitates that this is not the carnal person who is just going to one-up the person that fell and say, I told you so, but it's ye which are spiritual Restore such and one. So there will be godly, spirit-moved people within the local church whose lives are marked by love, joy, and peace. Amen? And they are going to lovingly go toward this person, not with a pharisaical tone to their words, but with a, with a tear in their eye, with a, a willingness to pray, and with a willingness to righteously and humbly confront the person who is in their most disgraced hour of their life. And so the audience, my friend, is you and me. That's the audience. And number two tonight is the admonition. Here's what it says. Um, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, and what's the next word? Restore. Restore. Restore such an one. And here's what God um, puts the restoration on. Is this, is this that one, one man... Um, if, 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 I'm going to quote this right, I'm thinking in Spanish, forgive me. Brethren, if a man, singular, if a man, singular, be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, plural, restore such and one. Are you catching that? So one guy sins and the many restore. It's kind of like the metaphor that God gives over and over about the body. When there is a one wound, 
millions of, you know, multiplied thousands of white blood cells run to the spot of the wound, right? Before it gets worse. And the question is, within the body of Grace Baptist and Sheraton, who are the white blood cells here? Who runs not away from the crisis, but toward the crisis, and not to pile on the person, but to humbly restore them? One falls, and many lift up. And can I say, there's, there's, just, a, um, there's just a thought in our lives. Well, well they, they got a Bible? They've been in Sunday school since they were little kids? They graduated from Bible college? Let them restore themselves. That's not the call here. The reason why is because in spite of all their Bible knowledge and their degree, something is off in them, and they will not have the spiritual senses to be able to restore themselves. Restoration comes within the body of Christ, but outside of the sinner. It comes from without. And uh, can, I, can I just uh, confess another humble moment that I had in marriage? Um, when you're first married, you, you just... You obviously want to impress your wife, and you don't want to cry in front of her very much. Um, and so I got married in 2010, and I was playing basketball. Um, we were members at Berean Baptist Church in Rockford at the time, and um, uh, we would play the older guys against the younger guys. We'll call it that, I guess, veterans against the youth or something, if you want to call it that, so we don't you know, call ourselves old. But um, I, I, I was playing against the younger guys, and somebody shot the ball, and I went up for a rebound, and when I got the ball, I came down, and this, this young guy came, he tried to take the ball, and my hands went like this, and I kept the ball. And I went to dribble the ball, and I was like, ooh, that's, that hurts. And so I'm not, a right, I'm not a lefty, and so I started dribbling lefty, which basically doesn't work for me. And when you're a guy, and you're playing, and you're newlywed, there is no option of getting out of the game, because we're guys, right, fellas? And so uh, I just said, I'm going to keep playing, and... Like, I'll play lefty or I'll try to, and it's just, it's just something out of joint. And, and, um, I realized quickly that I was not going to be able to stay in the game. And so I called for a sub and I went and sat as far away from my wife as I could. And, um, I had, in the week previous, I had read an article that if your bone is out of joint, you just pull it out of joint and it'll go, it'll like jump back in. Um, there's a problem with that if it's a broken bone. <laughs> okay, let me just tell you. And, uh, with that article in mind, I made a self-diagnosis. It must be out of joint. And at the time, I wanted to cry already, but when I pulled that thing, I really wanted to cry. It hurt that bad. Long story short, that night we were in uh, the emergency room uh, in Pecatonica, Illinois, and uh, I now have a steel plate right here because when I tried to restore myself, it didn't work. And we can just say people can just fix it up all by themselves. But if that were true, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 wouldn't be in the Bible. So the church must see this audience. And action must be taken, my friends. Amen. The, the call here is restore him. Amen. Not, not wait and see. Not get on Facebook and, and, and throw indirect shots at the guy. The, the, the call is this. Not to Facebook the problems, but to face the problems. Amen? Did you hear that? Not to Facebook the problems, but to face the problems in the local church. Not to turn the church into a den of 90 and 9 just men who need no repentance, but to be a clinic for broken people. Amen? 
That's the call of the local church. And so restore, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. Restore, amen? Restore before the wolf comes and devours the prey. Restore before this thing goes toward a divorce. Restore before a child has to grow up in a one-parent situation because his parents didn't hold it together. Restore, restore, restore. Restore before there's another bitter teenager at the things of God because his dad walked away. Restore, restore, restore. It is a call not to theory, but is a call to action, church. Amen? You which are spiritual, if you are spiritual, you will not be able to sit there and be a silent spectator at the destruction of a Christian brother or sister. You must go toward, go toward the crisis and do the work of restoration. So the audience is brethren. The admonition is to restore. And thirdly, there is an attitude involved. Um, Can I also say that the word restore is in the continuous tense, my friend? (laughs) So it's not like, one visit at the guy's house, and I'm going to just chalk it up that I restored the guy. This sin has probably been going on for a lot longer than you even thought. Have you seen David's life? He enjoyed his sin for about an hour. He tried covering his sin for the whole year, and he spent the rest of his life dealing with the regret of that sin, and finally... God used a restoring prophet by the name of Nathan to come to him and to tell him things that he was not willing to tell himself in the moment. And even the man after God's own heart needed the ministry of restoration. And praise God, when you read Psalm 51, God gave restoring grace. Amen? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And David, the commentators tell us, wrote more psalms after his fall with Bathsheba than he did previous. What a glorious glorious um, example of restoration. And um, if it happened in the Old Testament, I dare say it should happen in the New even more because of the Spirit's presence in all of us. Amen? And so thirdly, and this is what we'll conclude with, is when we do the work of restoration, there is an attitude that we do it with. Um, The Bible says at the end of the verse, restore such and one, and there's not a period there, but in the spirit of meekness. Meekness, that same meekness that is taught to us as a fruit of the spirit in the previous verses, verse five, chapter 5, verse 23. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What is Paul telling us? Paul is telling us, that when you as a Christian are made aware of a weakness or a fall or a sin in another brother, God is not allowing you to see that because you're awesome. I dare say that there's a grace in all of this that God lets you be scared of you because in the same given moment, you could do the same or worse, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. That's the call here. Um, and we do this with an attitude. Can I say this? As a former pastor, I'm all about programs and ministries. Understand this? Oh, there's a fallen. Let's just get a group of people who will be the restoration team of the church. When I read this verse, the feel of it is that this is a culture that ought to be understand this 
And I guess it's okay if you have qualified counselors. That, that ought to take place. But how much more when it's just a genuine, normal, organic thing within the body, just like your own human body has white blood cells that run toward the wounds. And um, can I say that uh, I, got a, I got a bad phone call a couple of years ago when I was, I was pastoring. A, a, a friend of mine uh, who... We, we we had this group in college that we were all just really close, good friends with each other, and 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 really to this day they iron sharpens iron to the day, and I'm I'm glad for that. Um, but we all got news that one of our friends, he was pastoring, and he fell into a deep sin that uh, was a disqualifying sin for 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 sure. There was no doubt about that. And um, I got word from my other friends that that hey. Call, call him, call him, call him, call him. We've all talked to him, and he's talking his way out of everything. And um, I got I got on the phone with this guy, and it was not fun. It was it was it was very very disheartening. And it's someone that I love for years, not not just to somebody that you meet the week before, but for years. And I called him, and I said, "Brother, you need to step away from the pulpit. You need to you need to go and be restored." according to scripture, by someone else. You need to put yourself underneath another godly man's ministry and let the word of God run through you and let someone else tell you things that you're not willing to tell yourself. And he said, well, this happened a while ago. And um, we went on a vacation, me and my wife, to Disney World, and we got things right in our marriage. And I said to him, "Um, brother, you still need to step away from pastoring and from being in a pulpit and he didn't see because sin naturally blinds us as human beings and it blinds us to our own failures and um he said to me well i was reading the bible this morning and i was encouraged because i was reading the book of nehemiah and nehemiah was called by god to get back on the wall and just keep working and i took that as my sign i said brother you're not an old testament governor you're a new testament pastor and the stipulations are clear you've broke them and uh he wouldn't hear. Uh, he's sadly still pastoring to this day with no break in his ministry. And I remember having a mix of emotions on the phone that day. And I took the call. My wife was in the kitchen with a, a lady from our church was talking. I took the call and I was walking around outside and I was furious and I wanted to cry. I wanted to break my phone. I wanted to punch something. Um, I was just I was just infuriated with this conversation because not only did something happen, I wasn't mad that it happened, I was mad at the reaction because there's no end in sight of what, what, what wreckage is going to go on in this guy's life if he doesn't get restored and what wreckage is going to happen in the church if he doesn't get restored because the way this, this, this verse goes, you kind of understand if a person is not restored, it's only going to go from bad to worse and in the action, the offense is going to get repeated. And so... Um, I, I hung up the phone with him, and I was entering into my house, and I grabbed the doorknob, and I just sensed the Lord stopping me. Now, I don't believe in superstitious visions and things like that, but it was as if the Spirit of God told me, Kevin, be mad, but beware, because in the weakness of this man and what he's done, you could do the same or worse. And so again, folks, we don't pile on and say, well, I've got this long list of church attendance that I've done, and I've been a deacon, I've been on the roll of the church, and I come from good stock. You don't pile on to people, and you will never help them if you do. You come with a spirit of meekness, and the first moment of counseling is basically this, brother. 
I weep with you. And trust me, I could do the same. I'm here to serve you. And boy, that opens the, that opens the door to restoring grace coming. And so, folks, restoration, we don't need to call outside folks into this. We don't need to trust in therapists and secular psychologists. From within the body of Christ, there ought to be a culture in Grace Baptist Church that, of course, pastor preaches, but a culture is decided by you, the people of this church. And so rather than being silent spectators, which is not an option, and rather than being pharisaical accusers, which is also not an option, ye which are spiritual. Amen? Restore such a... I'm a visitor here. There's probably an empty spot here, an empty spot there that you can think of somebody who used to be here and they're not, and it's not because they moved away and it's not because they changed churches. It's because sin has done its wreckage in their life. And maybe you need to make a phone call or a visit this week and and, and go about doing the work of restoration. And so um, I pray that I'll have that heart and I pray that you'll have that heart. Let's pray and ask God to, to give us that heart to work with those who have fallen. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of restoration. We thank you, Jesus, that you um, came to this world with love and you came with the Spirit, and we thank you, Lord, that you looked to bind up the brokenhearted, Lord, and sin breaks hearts, Lord, and we know that. We've all experienced that. We've all committed things and done things that we're ashamed of, and Lord, we've needed um, that encouraging word. We've needed that person to pray for us. We've needed that loving, honest confrontation, and I pray here that at Grace Baptist and Sheraton that that will be the culture, that there will be a spiritual culture of godly people who will run not away from the wounds, but toward the wounds and do the work of restoration. Bless, dear Father. And uh, some of this may be as instruction to do something for the past. Some of this may be prevention toward the future. But, oh God, I pray by your spirit you would not leave us alone as a church. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.